It's Morning Edition on NHPR. I'm Rick Ganley. It's time for the New Hampshire News Recap. Let's get into this week's top headlines. Republican congressional candidate Matt Mowers is under review for voting in two presidential primaries in 2016. A group at the State House discusses how to police poor behavior from lawmakers online. And Governor Sununu says his comments about former President Trump at a political roast were all a joke. And HPR's senior political reporter Josh Rogers will join us now with what's happening this week in politics. Good morning, Josh. Good morning, Rick. All right. Remind us, who, who is Matt Mowers and what happened back in 2016? Well, Matt Mowers is a Republican candidate for Congress. He's 32 years old. He now lives in Guilford. He's part of a prou- crowded primary field. Uh, polling would indicate he's the leading candidate uh, in that race uh, on the Republican side, but it's early. He also ran in 2020, as you probably remember. He was the party nominee. He waged an aggressive campaign, uh, was endorsed by Donald Trump. That was a real feature of that campaign, who he'd worked for in the in the Trump State Department. Uh, he ended up losing to incumbent Democrat Chris Pappas by five points. You know, Matt Maurer's lives in New Hampshire now. He's originally from New Jersey. He's been on the New Hampshire political scene for a few years, took a job here in 2013, then ran his former boss, Chris Christie's uh, state primary campaign. When that campaign flamed out after the New Hampshire primary, he moved back to New Jersey. And, and you know, that that's the period that's really at issue. Uh, he voted for Chris Christie in the 2016 primary. Then after moving to New Jersey, voted in that state's primary for Donald Trump. He actually ended up being a, a Trump delegate. And, you know, the question or really a question is, does voting twice during the same primary season is that illegal? Uh, Maurer says absolutely not. Uh, he was living here when he voted here, living in New Jersey when he voted there. But mm-hmm. um, so that, that, that do we know what the actual law says? Though well, it's not entirely clear. Federal law does seem to suggest that voting in multiple primaries uh, is not appropriate. But you know, if there was a violation of that law, my understanding is the statute of limitations has run. Um, you know, I don't see how this would have violated state law. He was living here when he voted here and mm-hmm. then was living in New Jersey when he voted there. Um, you know, there's, there's, there's a question of the spirit of the law, I guess. And there's also, you know, this is really a political issue ultimately. And, you know, he's a guy trying to win a Republican nomination in a field where issues around voter integrity are central. So, you know, on that front, it, it, it's definitely not ideal. Okay. So we're not sure what the consequences necessarily could be here. I know that, you know, that there's this some kind of investigation going on. But what's his response to that? Well, he says this is utterly without merit. And he explains the timing. He lived here. You know, he says, I was a political operative. I needed a job. I moved to New Jersey. I uh, looked into the legality of what I did and and, and did that. Um, you know, the the practical question, though, is does this become a story that, that sticks? I mean, the, you know, this is a campaign season. Um, you know, hard to know right now. I mean, the, the, the fact that Governor Sununu indicated uh, – you know, and Governor Sunu, somebody who endorsed Mowers two years ago, indicated that that he thought federal law prohibits what Mowers did. That probably doesn't help. But I mean, the bottom line is, do do voters care, and can his rivals uh, convince them to care? And, yeah. and you know, we'll we'll see on that front. How much of a story it'll end up being? The Joint Legislative Ethics Committee held a meeting this week with top officials from the State House about how to deal with poor behavior by New Hampshire lawmakers online. How has this been a growing problem over the last several years, Josh? Well, I'll just say from the conduct by state lawmakers uh, online or uh, IRL, uh, it, you know, it's never been perfect, uh, Rick, as part of the citizen legislature's <laughs> charm, I think. But, you know, the Ethics Committee That's an interesting way to put indicated <laughs> this week that, they're, that they are fielding an increasing number of complaints about bad behavior among lawmakers in real life and on social media. And, you know, the question is how to police these. I mean, the Ethics Committee's charge is really 
substantive ethical violations, things like conflicts of interest, dishonesty, you know, financial impropriety, um, not somebody being obnoxious or even causing real offense online. Mm-hmm. Uh, I mean, you know, there are also speech rights for, for lawmakers. And so how you police this, you know, is a tough issue. The legislature isn't a typical workplace and, you know, representatives are ultimately accountable, you know, mostly to the voters. So short of something that would warrant the legislature deciding to censure a lawmaker or even vote them out of office, which would, would be incredibly rare, um, there's not a lot of things that the that legislative leaders can do can police bad behavior if the lawmakers in question don't see it that way or, or aren't interested in, in complying. Right. So so what are the, some of the big takeaways from, from this particular meeting this week? Well, that this is a challenge. Uh, Speaker Packard, he's you know been in the legislature for decades, and he really seems a kind of a loss for how to deal with this. He has an advisory committee uh, that helps police and advise uh, and mediate issues with lawmakers and how they behave. And he says this could potentially ratchet up its uh, its activities. But but he told me, well, you know, we can't have this thing meeting five days a week, which I think is an indication of how much of a problem this may be. Um, you know, and the reality is that the, the, the behavior we're talking about really doesn't involve all that many reps. But you know, it, it's hard not to see this as kind of a sign at the times. Of, mm-hmm. You know, social media, political social media is a is an ugly place, and um, you know, the, we also have the pandemic, which has kept lawmakers apart, and that probably hasn't helped on the civility front. Sure. And um, you know, leaders are hoping more in person contact could hope could help things. And you know, they've talked about a little bit of training to to help lawmakers how to act. I mean, I'm not sure it's called legislative charm school, but but, <laughs> but, but we'll see. This could this is tough. This is a tough it issue. It is. Yeah, yeah. And I mean, as you said, the discord has only grown over the, uh, the past couple of years, social media fueling that. Uh, you know, what can top, top labor, lawmakers actually do about something like this? In some cases, they, they may, may meet and just throw their hands up and say, we don't really know. I mean, you know, the, the speaker has the power to, to remove lawmakers from committees, and that has happened when lawmakers you know, act in, in, in ways that uh, colleagues find aberrant. Uh, they can take away parking space. Uh, yeah. But beyond that, uh, absent the kind of normative pressure or some sense of shame or regret on the part of a legislator or, mm-hmm. you know, obviously the ballot box is, is a remedy. But, you know, this also gets into the question of how informed are people about the conduct of their state reps and do they even know do them? They know I mean, the the idea is like, yeah. oh, we're so closely bound because it's like one per every 3,500 residents. But mm-hmm. the reality is, is that, um, you know, we could go on about the news ecology sure. and what people know and don't know. But this is a tough thing to tough, tough thing. To but and, and of course, a handful of representatives will use this, obviously, to stoke up their base. Uh, our final political story from this week, uh, Josh, Governor Chris Sununu made some jokes about former President Trump during a political roast in D.C., uh, Sanindu saying for people to not take it seriously. Um, what, what was happening there, Josh? Well, the governor was the was the invited Republican speaker at the Gridiron Dinner, which is a long-established sort of roast-style event uh, where prominent journalists, prominent politicians, uh, you know, some, some might say it's really emblematic of the swamp uh, of D.C. In a way, it's it's you know it's been around for a long time and. And uh, Sununu material really did go after the former president. Uh, he talked about him being crazy. He used expletives. Uh, the joke certainly seemed to go over well in the room. The governor got lots of headlines. And, you know, when he returned to New Hampshire, he stressed that this was all in good fun. Um, obviously, former President Trump remains a powerful figure in the GOP. Uh, some Republicans were offended by, by what the governor did. Others Critics of Trump are asking why, if uh, Sununu sees Trump through that lens, why not offer more serious critique? 
you know, hard to know where this goes. But, you know, Sununu is somebody who's looking over the horizon to a post-Trump GOP. Trump could run in 2024. Sununu hasn't ruled it out. Um, I can you know, set up some interesting uh, Trump ally Corey Lewandowski is saying he's going to recruit a challenger for, for Sununu in the gubernatorial primary. I'm definitely going to kind of stay tuned. Yeah, and it could be some interesting uh, language coming up, I'm sure, between those two in the future. Uh, thanks, Josh. Appreciate You're welcome. it. Uh, joining us now to talk about the la- latest news on climate change here on the New Hampshire News Recap is NHPR's Mara Hoplamazian. I want to bring them in as well. Good morning, Mara. Morning, Rick. How's it going? I'm doing all right. Thanks for joining us this morning. It's been a big week on your beat. I know the Intergovernmental Panel on Climate Change, or the uh, it's known as the IPCC, yeah, uh, released a report showing we are currently headed for disastrous levels of climate change. But it also said that leaders have the tools to act quickly in response. So what were some of the big takeaways from that report? Yeah, Rick. So this is the last of three IPCC working group reports coming out in the group's sixth assessment cycle that's going on right now. The first one covered the science of climate change. The second one covered the impacts of climate change and how communities will need to adapt to those impacts. And this third one that came out this week covered climate change mitigation or the actions that we can take to reduce the rate of climate change, like reducing greenhouse gas emissions. And in this third report, the IPCC has been really clear without immediately and significantly reducing our greenhouse gas emissions in every sector, we're not going to be able to limit global warming to 1.5 degrees Celsius, which is you know, the goal that world leaders have agreed to work towards. Um, They say emissions need to peak before 2025 for that to happen and need to go down 43 percent by 2030 to limit warming to that number. But the IPCC is also clear that there's hope. There's increasing evidence that leaders are taking action on climate change. And they're clear we have all the options in all sectors to cut down emissions uh, by half by 2030. So the cost of renewable energy technologies has come down. We have the technology available. Leaders just need to be setting things in motion. Well, interesting you say something about leaders. I know, what about action here in New Hampshire? Uh, leaders here have been slower to take action than our counterparts in, in, in the rest of the region. Yeah. So New Hampshire is, you know, the only state in New England that doesn't mandate greenhouse gas emissions reductions across the whole economy. Our standards for how much renewable energy electricity suppliers are required to provide um, is lower than all of our neighboring states in New England. We're not as far along with energy efficiency programs. Our latest state climate action plan is from 2009. And, you know, even though the state's made some progress on some of those recommendations from 2009, advocates say there's a lot more to do. And in New Hampshire, a lot of the folks I've talked to are really focused on transportation. That's our biggest source of emissions in the state. And we're going to see some federal funds from the bipartisan infrastructure law for electric vehicle infrastructure. I know there's folks that see that as a really big opportunity. But the state's Department of Energy is set to release this update to the state's 10-year energy strategy um, sometime in the next few weeks. I know there's some advocates looking towards that to see what the coming years will hold in terms of what climate change mitigation efforts are going to look like in the state. Mara, I know you reported this week on how many New Hampshire communities on the local level are are turning to solutions in the fight against climate change. What did you hear from some municipal leaders? Yeah. So I spoke with leaders in some energy commissions across the state. Those are groups of volunteers in towns in New Hampshire who are working on things like making buildings more energy efficient, building municipal solar arrays to power town buildings. And, um, you know, the the people I spoke with really said they got involved out of a mix of fear and sadness and hope. Like, you know, they were thinking about what climate change was going to look like for their kids or for their community, decided they wanted to take part. But they said they've really been looking for more leadership and support from the state. One person said, you know, they're not really seeing a vision about how we're going to get to a better place in relation to the climate. And advocates told me that most of these local communities are acting without funding or support from the state. and, And there's 
some state policies that are constraining local communities that are trying to take action and, and do things on the municipal level. What about what about talking to people who are skeptical? You know, it's a controversial subject. So even though the science has been clear for a long time now, this is still one of those things that some people will say, I'm not worried about this. Yeah, well, you know, it, in in a lot of ways now it makes economic sense to to take actions like energy efficiency or, or renewable like putting in renewable energy when you insulate a building you're spending less money to heat it during the winter the cost of renewable technologies like solar panels has come down really significantly in Franconia where voters just ap- approved a municipal solar array the cost on the town warrant was about the same as a police cruiser and a skid loader which were two other things voters approved um, and and you know that saves money in the long run too so one leader I spoke with in, in Bethlehem said there's also this draw of energy independence. You know, re- renewable energy allows towns to have some more independence and self-reliance when it comes to the energy system. So I think that's also a draw. So we'll be watching for that. Maura, uh, anything else that you're working on right now? Um, you know, I'll be looking out for the state energy strategy coming up. I'm, I'm working on a feature for Earth Week about local livestock farming in New Hampshire and, and sort of how local food is a climate resilience solution. Um, the New England News Collaborative is doing this Earth Week series on food systems that I'm really excited about. So that's that's what's on the agenda for me. I'll be watching. The, the beat is busy. Absolutely. NHPR's environment and energy reporter Mara Hoplamazian. Thanks so much. Thanks so much. By the way, you can find more of Josh's work and Mara's work at NHPR.org always. And if you missed any part of today's segment or if you want to catch up on previous New Hampshire News Recaps, you can find the New Hampshire News Recap wherever you listen to podcasts. And we'll be in here next week, next Friday, with even more top headlines, as always. I'm Rick Ganley. This is NHPR.